Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. Well, good morning. Um, Michael, I just want to give you a little bit of like an at ease. I'm not a great public speaker either. If you guys don't remember, my first sermon went very, very quickly. When I had planned for like 28 minutes, it cut down to 15, so it's okay to be nervous talking in front of people. Um, So last week, Pastor Greg had mentioned that before her death, Mother Teresa made a rare television appearance uh, on a show called 60 Minutes. In the interview, Dan Rather asked her, when you pray to God, what do you say? And her answer was, I don't say anything, I listen. And that's where Pastor Greg had left that story. However, there's more to this story than just that. There's obviously a much larger interview. Um, And if you watch the interview, after her response, there's kind of like an awkward pause. And, you know, Dan Dan didn't really know what to do. He was kind of thrown off, wasn't sure where to go from there. Then he asked her a follow-up question. Okay, when you pray to God, what does he say to you? She's quiet for a moment, she pauses, and then she answers. He doesn't say anything, he listens. (laughs) There's another awkward moment there, and she clarifies, if you don't understand, I can't explain that to you. (laughs) Rather kind, hey, from Mother Teresa? But in that moment, Mother Teresa was referring to a dimension of prayer that goes beyond words to a simple, loving presence. So over the last three weeks, we've covered different stages of prayer. We talked about talking to God, talking with God, and listening to God. And this week, we come to our final stage, which is just being with God. So before we keep going, I want to clarify that these, stage, these stages of prayer aren't just stages that you eventually mature beyond. They aren't like, if you can do this one, then you'll eventually move to this one, then to this one, and this one, and then beyond. It's not that kind of maturing like you would growing up. For example, you never mature uh, beyond needing to ask God for help any more than an NBA player matures beyond needing to practice his dribbling. But there is progression. So in basketball, you start by learning the basic rules and you learn how to dribble. You don't automatically like pick up a basketball and try and shoot three-point shots if you want to become a really good basketball player. There's a progression that goes with that. But the further we progress in prayer, meaning in our life with God, the more we grow to love and desire to talk with him, listen to him, and just being with him. So as a general rule in relationships, with God or otherwise, you can gauge a level of intimacy with that relationship by how comfortable you are just being able to sit together in silence. When you're just getting to know somebody, it's really awkward and kind of uncomfortable to just sit with them in silence. You feel like you have to say something. But as you get to know each other and you begin to do life together, it becomes a lot more comfortable just to be able to sit and be silent, where you don't have to say any words and you can just be. Think about that in the sense of marriage. There's a level of intimacy that is literally the intermingling of persons at the deepest of levels that is wordless yet deeply loving. And that, is, uh, that's, that in that, the, the mystics have long said is an ultimate picture of our union with God. When this is applied to our, 
to prayer, this level of wordless communication has come to be called contemplation. So contemplative prayer can mean different things to different people at different times and places in church history. But there are three basic dimensions of contemplative prayer, and we're gonna quickly walk through those. So the first of these dimensions is looking. Looking at God, looking at you in love. So if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to open it up to 2 Corinthians chapter three. So the label of contemplative prayer is based on language found in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, and he writes in verse 18, we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory. So hopefully you guys caught that word in there. And there's an image here of a bride in, intimate, in intimacy with her husband, who, all, who all, we all who with unveiled faces contemplate. Another name for contemplative prayer is a beholding prayer because in it, we behold, we look at, in Paul's language, the Lord's glory. And the word glory here doesn't mean God's fame or his celebrity status. It means God's presence and his beauty. To contemplate God's glory is to look at his beauty and goodness and love pouring out towards you. And this is the essence of our faith. A.W. Tozer once said, faith is not a once-done act, but but a continuous gaze of the heart of the triune God. Believing, then, is directing the heart's attention to Jesus. It is lifting the mind to behold the Lamb of God and, and never ceasing that beholding for the rest of our lives. At first, this may be difficult, but it becomes easier as we look steadily at his wondrous person, quietly and without strain. This is the most basic aspect of contemplative prayer, loving attention to our Father and his love and compassion and goodwill coming towards us in Christ by the Spirit. The second dimension of contemplative prayer is yielding to God's love. This is, this is a type of prayer where you are laboring with God to change what is. In other words, petition and contemplation, if you remember from our first week. And that is, a good, and that is good and necessary, but there's another type where you are laboring, not to change, but to accept what is. This is Jesus in Gethsemane. I always pronounce that wrong, so we'll just roll with that. He begins by praying, Father, let this cup pass from me. He's trying to change the circumstances of his life. But he ends by praying, not my will, but yours be done. This yielding, this letting go of outcomes, this surrender of our, God, of our will to God's will is at the heart of contemplative prayer. The New Testament theologian Robert uh, Mulholland said, it's the deeper inner posture of a joyful release of our life and being to God in absolute trust, without demands, without conditions, without reservations. It is neither a passive resignation or a fatalistic acquisition or acquiescence to whatever comes. It is rather a consistent posture of actively turning our whole being to God so that God's presence, purpose, and power can be released through our lives into all situations. It's basically God just saying, it's basically just saying, God, here I am, and I am yours. Not as an act of submission, but an act of surrender to his love. And then the third dimension of contemplative prayer is resting in God's love. 
Again, asking whether it's petition or intercession feels like work because it is. We're co-laboring with God to bring his kingdom to birth in our life and our world. And because of this, Orthodox Jews forbid all intercessory prayer on the Sabbath. But contemplative prayer, on the other hand, feels less like work and more like rest. More like a portable Sabbath to bring with you everywhere. That's why it feels very different uh, from the previous three stages of prayer that we've talked about. It's less something we do and more something God does in us. Ultimately, we just come to rest in his love. That's mostly what prayer is, the medium by which we experience the love of Christ. It's how we experience the answer to Paul's prayer in Ephesians, which says, I pray out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the, Lord, is the love of Christ, and to know this love to surpass knowledge that you may be filled to the measure, to, to the measure of all fullness of God. In the modern world where many of us live in a state of chronic fatigue from our performance-oriented culture, this type of prayer just resting in and receiving the gift of his love for us, receiving our identity as well-loved sons and daughters of the Father, and then offering our love back in worship is our lifeline because we're so rushed all the time. It should come as no surprise that contemplative prayer is at the heart of spiritual formation, the process by which we are formed into people people of love in Christ. Look at Paul's letter again. He writes that as we contemplate the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The word transform simply just means to change, and in this context, change, this, this change is only possible in Christ or our spiritual formation. In Paul's framework, the core of this change is contemplation or looking at God himself. A Singaporean writer, Hui Wee Tan, said, you are, to, you are what your mind looks at. You are what you contemplate. Think about that for a minute. You are what your mind looks at, and you are what you contemplate. So people, people spend hours reading and watching different things or spending time with different people. If you spend your day investing in angry political news, you'll probably tend to be more angry. If you spend hours scrolling through social media, you'll likely become anxious or angry or emotional. Think about that with with your friend groups. Chances are, if you spend time thinking about the different things that your friend group does specifically, you'll notice that almost everybody in your friend group has started to do those things without realizing it. I've noticed that with me and my friends. There's a couple phrases that one guy was using for a long time and the rest of us just eventually started to use it because we spent so much time together. We become like whatever it is we gaze upon, whether that's TV or the Trinity. So the way we become more like Jesus is to look at Jesus. One way to do this is by reading scripture. Another way is through prayer where we look with the eyes of our heart upon Jesus. This is how God designed our brains to develop and to grow. 
Your brain is full of mirror neurons that cause you to take the properties of whoever or whatever you're looking at. When someone smiles at you, you smile back. When someone glares at you, you might flinch or you might end up glaring back at them. A secular neuroscientist named Dr. Andrew Newberg in his book, How How God Changes Your Brain, wrote, if you contemplate God long enough, something surprising happens in the brain. Neural functioning begins to change. We have a nervous system that actively participates in our neural construction, something we do not see in other uh, brains, animal brains. Basically, there's a little part in our brain uh, called the anterior cingulate that sits between our limbic system and our prefrontal cortex. When stimulated, it increases our impulses of anger and fear, and it increases, or sorry, it decreases our impulses of uh, anger and fear, and it increases our feelings of compassion. So simply put, as we contemplate the love of God coming towards us, it literally rewires our brain and makes us into more compassionate and loving people. Of course, the opposite of that is also true. If we view God as, as an angry authoritarian tyrant in the sky, it also changes our brain to make you more fearful and more aggressive. But as we contemplate God's love, we become become more loving. As it is in Psalm 34, those who look to him are radiant. This is the gift of contemplative prayer. So for the extroverts in the room who are probably hating the idea of just sitting in silence and sitting in contemplative prayer, it isn't something that's just for introverts like myself who don't like to necessarily talk or be around other people. It's for everybody. It's, that's not to say that it's going to be easy for everybody, and it's, it's probably going to be really hard. Everybody who enters into contemplative prayer will likely face uh, a number of different challenges. And th- there's three that are more prominent than others. The first is distractions. The moment you begin to sit in living, in living atten- attention to God without words, your brain will start to jump all over the place thinking of what needs to be picked up from the grocery store, thinking about what other people might have said to you in the past, or you might be thinking of what you might have said to other people. And this doesn't mean that you're bad at prayer, it means that you're human. You have a mind and your mind is jumpy and distracted. This is a normal and natural part of your brain's inner workings. And while it can be calmed and quieted over time with dedicated prayer, distractions will never go away. The key to quieting distractions is not to give them a second thought. When they they come, uh, not if, but when, just bring your mind back to God. And for some of you, that might mean taking a quick second, writing down whatever that thought was, and then you're able to refocus on God and not have to worry about that thought. The second challenge that you might have is the challenge of hurry. To be with God in this way, you must, as Dallard Willard once said, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. But to do so will force us to confront our impatient and our impatience and how quickly we get bored. Henry Nguyen once called prayer wasting time on God. He didn't actually mean that it's a waste of time. He meant in our productively obsessed culture where time is money and money uh, is God where entertainment and stimulation fill every single crevice of our time. To give God our time and attention uh, for him to do or not do as, with, what, with it as he pleases is wasteful. 
in the eyes of our culture. But like the story in John's Gospel of Mary pouring out expensive perfume on Jesus' feet in an act of love and worship, and it's, only our, and it's the only fitting response to the beauty of who Jesus is. Because again, the main thing we get out of prayer isn't different life outcomes from God, it's God himself. And the third thing that we, we face is our fear. Whatever is down in us will end up coming to the surface within prayer. Our desire for God or our lack of desire for God. Love or hate and anger, anxiety, insecurities, envy, jealousy, hurt, regret, all of our inner turmoils and tensions we carry in our body will end up coming up in the quiet. As we begin to pray contemplatively, we, be- we become more and more aware of how we've been using distractions, hurry, noise, work, people, entertainment, food, shopping, and a thousand other cultural narcotics to run from our pain. Now all of that pain is in everybody, it's in you guys, it's in myself, and it's likely leaking out in all sorts of unhealthy ways. But in quiet prayer, we create a space for it to come up in a healthy way, and for us to offer it to God to heal. Now that can be scary for a lot of people, but if you stay with contemplative prayer long enough, you'll move through that inner turmoil to a kind of surrender freedom, and inner peace that can be achieved through God. Pay attention and you'll notice that the people who give themselves to God in quiet prayer over a long time tend to be the most calm and happy people. All that to say in light of these challenges and and other challenges as well, you will quickly realize that to pray contemplatively, you have to adopt a contemplative lifestyle. Put another way, to uh, to be with Jesus in this way we have to slow down to a more prayerful pace. As a general rule, how you are outside of prayer will be how you are inside of prayer. If you're stressed and hurried and distracted or distracted by your phone when you sit down to pray, all of that will bleed into your time with Jesus. You must slow down to what the Japanese theologian Koseki Koyama called the speed of love, and the speed of love is slow. One way of thinking about discipleship to Jesus is the, in the modern era is about slowing your life down to pray. It's about arranging, or for most of us, rearranging our life around God. Historically, the way followers of Jesus have done this for thousands of years uh, is through uh, cultivating a prayer rhythm. In Hebrew tradition uh, that Jesus himself would have gone by, there has been a rhythm of stopping three times a day to pray, morning, noon, and night. And you can see this all throughout the Psalms, and famously with the story of Daniel and the lions. In Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit happens during the morning prayer, as did several other key inflection points in Acts, in, in Acts' story of the first Christmas, or sorry, of the first Christians. Then the Book of Common Prayer brought that down to twice a day, morning and night, to make it more accessible for non-monks and nuns. But the idea is all the same, and I'd invite the worship team to come up, but the idea is all the same, that to pray all of the time, we need to pray much of the time. To practice the presence of God all day long, 
we need to pause at intervals throughout the day, even for only a few minutes, to come back to our home in God. The end goal of our daily prayer rhythm is what Paul called praying without ceasing, what A.W. Tozer called constant conscious communication, or communion, to live as Jesus did, saturated in the loving life, light of the Trinitarian presence, looking at God, looking at you in love, yielding to his love, and resting in his love. Can you imagine a more compelling, beautiful life? If you ache for that kind of life, start where you are. Begin slowly, begin humbly by being with God. So church, I just bless you. I bless you to see and feel Jesus' presence, to know that he is right beside you, that he has gone before you, and he is right behind you as well. To know his face is shining upon you in radiant joy and life and love. So Jesus, or for church, I bless you as you, as you leave this morning, to know No, he is all around you. Amen. You are dismissed. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you would like more information about us or find out ways to contact us, visit our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray today that you would experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ and then make him known.